Hi, everyone. It's Kelly. Before we get started with the podcast, I wanted to tell you about our annual fund campaign, More Choice, Louder Voice, now through the end of August. RCVRC is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization, and we need the help of our listeners to continue to provide resources like this podcast. Would you consider making a donation or becoming a podcast sponsor? Head on over to www.rcvresources.org backslash donate to make your contribution today. Enjoy the podcast. This episode was recorded on Wednesday, June 22nd, after all votes in the election were counted, but before the results of the election were certified as final. Welcome to the June 2022 episode of RCD Clips, our podcast about all things ranked choice voting. I'm Chris Hughes, a member of the Resource Center staff. In today's episode, I'll be talking with Jason Gren, Executive Director of Alaskans for Better Elections, about the results of Alaska's special primary election held on June 11th. Jason, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Love to engage on this and talk through what's happening in Alaska. Yeah, there's, there's a lot to talk about today, especially this week. So first things first, what happened in the special primary election? Yeah, this is great timing. Um, the Division of Elections actually just said uh, last night that they're done with counting. It's not certified yet, but they are done. All the votes are in. Out of our 48 candidates, Alaskans went through that list. They picked one. And in our system now, the top four, we might get into this later, but the top four vote getters move on to the, uh, to the next round, to the general election that's happening in August. And so at the moment, without going into what might be happening, but there's uh, two Republicans, a, a nonpartisan and a Democrat. We're in the top four. And, you know, I think voters look at that and they said, wow, that's actually really reflective of our voter registration makeup, uh, kind of our history of Alaska electoral desires and, and values. And uh, I think the system really showed itself to be uh, beneficial to voters and uh, really worked out really well. I think for all intents and purposes, everything went smoothly. This was our first vote by mail election for a statewide election. And we had some interesting stuff happen regarding rejected ballots and stuff that we're learning about more in some of the data. But I think voters are really happy to have lots of choices. Voters are really pleased to see the outcomes. Our group, Alaskans for Better Elections, is gearing up for more education throughout the summer for our August election. Good to be done with the first round, at least, and kind of see the dust settle as, as much as it can be. But yeah, it was really, really successful election. Yeah, I know we'll be getting into all of that later on, but I think the one thing to keep in mind is if anybody has listened to every episode of this podcast, you know, two months ago, we talked to Gail Finumiai, who's the executive director of the Division of Elections. And, you know, this special election wasn't on anybody's radar. It wasn't planned for. That's sort of the nature of a special election. This is a whole surprise set of elections that Alaska is having. You were already planning on having, you know, the original primary in general in August and November. And now you have this whole other thing happening in June. And yeah, it's going to be a busy year in Alaska elections. They call them special elections for a reason. The last one we had in our state was when Don Young ran, you know, for that seat 49 years ago, special election and bookend his, his political career in special elections. Yeah, the state had to obviously look at the calendar, look at uh, how to move forward. And that's why a lot of decisions were made, like a mail-in ballot voting uh, for the first time, certain dates picked even middle of June, how to conduct this. And the state did a really great job, a new thing that they have to deal with, a new system, plus a special election, plus interpretation of all these different laws and 
try to figure out just from an infrastructure standpoint of tabulators and distributing them throughout the state, which is an incredibly hard job for the next election. So lots going on, lots of moving bits and pieces, but exciting. You know, I think for voters, this this kind of puts this, you know, election news and uh, how to vote and different candidate platforms puts it in their uh, their social media feed pretty much every day and the news every day. And so I think voters across the state, elections is very much on the top of the mind of everyone up here in Alaska, even though we're in, trying to enjoy our summer. Elections is dominating our, our news up here, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. So can you talk a bit more about the people who won the four candidates advancing from the primary? Yeah, you know, as I mentioned, uh, I think it really does kind of reflect our voters, the registration makeup just in general, but also our long history of, of how, of who we send to, to Congress, who we send to D.C. Uh, Alaska, uh, at a federal level, has been sending more conservative Republican candidates to D.C. for a long time. We've had a few here and there, more progressive candidates, but I think it kind of reflects Alaska's values. On this, these top four, you see two Republicans, you see a nonpartisan and a Democrat, and they all represent different parts of the state, different platforms, obviously. And that's the point with top four to have those uh, kind of that wide variety of choices. So you have uh, two Republicans, Nick Bagage and Sarah Palin, both with an incredible name ID, uh, which I think is reflective of why they were in the top four in this very short kind of ramp up to a special election. I think, you know, name ID was probably the number one indicator that uh, people were going to be successful in this top four pick one primary. And so uh, Sarah Palin has a uh, you know, long history in, in Alaska politics and national politics and even national celebrity uh, of sorts. You know, she's uh, obviously uh, well known uh, outside of political circles, but really, I'd say, reflective of today's conservative platform. She's a Trump endorsed candidate. Uh, I think she, you know, she had the Trump endorsement maybe just a few days after she announced she was running which was on the deadline day for the race. People were still joining that, that last day. That's why that list got to be 48 names. But Sarah Palin came out with, I think, close to uh, 29, 30%. She was the number one vote-getter in the special election primary. Nick Bagage, a Republican who has not been in office here in Alaska, but I think tends to show himself as just, again, another business-focused, resource development-focused Republican. Uh, which is in Alaska is usually top two or three type of issues that candidates need to talk about and have a a strong position on. Uh, You know, I think he represents closer to the center, but still, you know, very conservative in, uh, in different values. And so I think the Republican Party showed itself to have two really great candidates uh, for their platform. Republican voter makeup is the largest party in, in Alaska, so it makes sense that they're going to have two candidates and maybe even a third. We'll see how some of the other stuff shakes out here soon. But Republicans, I think, had several candidates in the top 10, which makes a lot of sense based on voter registration. Al Gross, who's a nonpartisan, he ran in 2020 uh, for U.S. Senate, had an incredible war chest of sorts and spent a lot of money. You know, he's running just two years after a big race with a lot of statewide recognition. You know, Alaska has a lot of nonpartisan independent voters who want to sometimes not vote just for who the party says, you know, this is our endorsed candidate or our best candidate. They kind of want to step back and look at the person and their values. And that's why Alaska has a a long history of of electing independent nonpartisan. We've had we've done that with our governors. We've done that with U.S. 
well, we had a, a U.S. writing camp, a U.S. Senate writing campaign for for an independent. Um, we've had many uh, people serving in the state house and state senate who are who are nonpartisan. And so, uh, seeing a nonpartisan independent uh, like like Al Gross make it to the top four wasn't too surprising. You know, I'm not a political consultant or strategist, so I don't know about positives or negatives or you know where uh, where people land on some of the, you know polling things like that. But Al Gross was is from Southeast Alaska. Um, more progressive area, but he, um, you know, had incredible name ID. And then the fourth spot, I think, was kind of a toss-up. If you talk to your uh, your friends and neighbors or people who kind of watch Alaska politics and, and people who are involved or watch the news, there was a lot of guessing who would, who would end up in that fourth spot. Would it be, you know, we had Santa Claus running. Speaking of name ID, I might have the best name ID for any politician who's ever run ever. Um, it's you know, kind of amazing, actually. And I think he ended up in the sixth spot, uh, Santa Claus did. And so again, he ran with no money. Um, he wasn't raising money. He wasn't um, sending out mailers or doing signs, anything like that. It was just putting out his platform through social media and, and trying to get a viral push towards the top four. But again, his name ID and his platform resonated with people. And uh, so to see him be successful was, I think, maybe it was people thought it, would, it was more fun or mm -hmm. funny or a protest vote or something like that. But he was a two time council person up in Fairbanks, North Pole. Of course, of all places. Um, I know it's it's kind of amazing. Yeah. It's a very funny story. I think the media loved it that, you know, and, and people loved it, too. Yeah. It's kind of it's just so, so interesting. But he was number six. And then you had a slew, I think, of other people with big name ID, people who had been in office here in Alaska for a long time, people who had run for governor before, people who had served in the state Senate for a long time or the state house. We had a someone who writes a gardening column uh, for our biggest paper. Very nice guy who'd been in the gardening community for a long time. He ran. I think he made the top 10. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. I mean, so people had a whole slew of choices. So I think there was a lot of guessing games going on. Who would make that top four? Who would kind of be able to crack through all that? A Democrat was able to make the top four. She's a native Alaskan, represents rural Alaska, but she served in the state house uh, for a long time. Has been involved still with community efforts and, and projects. And so she's well known, even though she hasn't been in an elected office for a while, but her name ID was, was strong coming out of the gate and had a great campaign and she was able to make the top four. So again, two Republicans, a nonpartisan and a Democrat in the top four. There was some worry in the media and, and other community groups that said, well, what if no progressives make the top four? You know, does this system work? Or what if uh, the top four are made up of people that we've never heard of, or you know, people were just you know picking one name, and and so I think again the system showed itself to be very reflective of Alaska's values and Alaska's voters, and to see it shake out how it did, I think shows the highlights and and the uh, the benefits of of what we're doing up here. Yeah, I mean, it is really interesting how out of a such an enormous field, it does feel like the four people with the most votes. Each of them is pretty distinct. Each of them, like you're saying, you know, has this unique constituency that they're representing in Alaska. I'll admit, like, I'm a little bit surprised it worked as well as it did with such a huge candidate field. It's a lot of people to pick between, but voters, I guess, aren't all that dumb. You know, they're pretty savvy. They know who represents them and they vote for those people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, as, as we talked about, you know, name ID obviously was huge. The, 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 the lead up to the election was short. And so a lot of people campaigned within their own region. Nick Baggage is from Anchorage. You know, I think he was really focused on Anchorage and getting Anchorage. You know, it's our largest city here in Alaska. It's about 50% of the population. It was his base. You know, that was important to him. Right. Mary Poltella, who lives out in rural Alaska, very regional, working with uh, the different communities there. Sarah Palin is from 
the Wasilla Palmer, the Matsu area, just north of Anchorage. That's where she, you know, was mayor a long time ago. And that's where she, you know, her family's from. That was the community that she performed best in. And so I think, again, yeah, it's, it's um, when you kind of look at how it all shaped out, it is kind of amazing. Yeah. I wouldn't say lucky or anything or serendipitous, but I think, again, it just shows like, you know, voters are attracted to names they know, uh, people they hear from, who's reaching out to them. Um, so name ID, and obviously, you know, funding is important as well. But for this short ramp up, I think the name ID, most people agree that that tended to be the, the number one indicator of, of success. Yeah. So talking a bit more about that, were there any like interesting strategies you saw from either the campaigns that made the top four or campaigns falling outside the top four that you think would be interesting to see in future primaries like this, anything that you thought people should sort of be aware of or that seemed like innovative strategies in this sort of system? One that didn't work was from one of our state senators was um, a Republican, decided to run. He had been involved with Don Young's campaign for a long time and felt very obligated to run when Don Young passed. You know, his name ID was not that great, but he had been in the, the state Senate for four years or maybe elected office for six years. But just right out the gate, he decided to attack Santa Claus. And, you know, his first video, his first stuff on social media was going against Santa Claus. Again, I'm not involved with this campaign or know what those uh, conversations were like. But a lot of people took it as, one, strange to attack Santa Claus. It's a losing battle. Yeah. But I think it, it went back to going, you know, people need to know about you right now. This is a short timeline to the election. People don't want to see, you know, you trash someone else. They want to know about you because they have to make this decision, especially in the large field. It's open primary. It's hard to distinguish yourself and is the best way to do that by going negative. Or is it more about who you are and your platform? The one lesson people took was, one, don't attack Santa Claus ever, just in regular life or in politics. <laughs> Probably for the best. But, you know, making it about yourself and not yeah. others in that race, I think. We'll see if that works in other open primaries here in the future. Right. It's a very unique situation. It's the first time this has been used. There were 48 people running. The dynamics in future elections may not be quite like this. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if we'll ever see 48 candidates again. Even, you know, I think this particular seat had a lot of attractiveness because, you know, Don Young had been there in for 49 years. There was a lot of people feeling, well, as soon as Don Young stops running, I'll run. But I'm, you know, I can't beat Don Young. So I'll just, you know, keep my powder dry and wait. And so they had the opportunity now and, I, you know, everyone decided to join in. Like I said, the 48 candidates just reflected Alaska. We had young people, old people, experienced people, people with no political uh, you know, background, people from rural Alaska, urban Alaska, all over the state. It was everyone decided, hey, I have a voice and I can speak for a certain group of people. And that's maybe attractive to other people around the state. So very, very special election for, for a number of reasons. It's definitely keeping it on the, uh, the minds of every Alaskan, you know, this whole process, which in terms of education, in terms of, you know, letting people know about the new system and the benefits to voters, things like that. It's been a really unique and great opportunity. Yeah, I wonder what percentage of the population of Alaska ran for this seat. I would like to see that number. <laughs> there was a lot of jokes on Twitter, of, you know, who isn't, you know, it's like, are you really an Alaskan if you haven't signed up to run for this seat type of feeling? And, you know, I think there was a few people who said, oh, I'll just put my name in that and how fun it is to put my name on the ballot. Yeah, there was about 12 or 14 real viable campaigns, people who were really putting their back into it, putting a serious uh, go for this. And that's, again, you can see that reflective in, in the vote count. Yeah, 
most people don't get the chance to have 12 serious campaigns happening in any election. So that's very cool. I think the number one complaint that people were texting me or telling me, especially when it came time to vote, was there's too many good choices. There's too many people I like, which I tell them, I was like, when was the last time you ever felt that way in an election? I don't know how to narrow this down. I, I love four people on this ballot. I mean, usually, you know, sometimes they're a real passionate person or they don't know anything about these candidates and they just pick, you know, whatever party they usually pick. And so for people, I think to really go, wow, there's five or six people that I'd love to vote for. I think, again, is a great shift as a voter to think that way, to go, wow, I'm, I have this control over a ballot and I should be sought after as a voter because the competition is great. My vote means more than ever. Yeah, we took it as a good thing when people have to say there's too many good choices on a ballot. <laughs> yeah. So pivoting a little bit, this is sort of the elephant in the room right now. Al Gross, the independent third place finisher in the primary, has said he's dropping out of the race, that he won't be participating in the ranked choice portion, special general election scheduled for August. Can you walk us through what's going to happen next with that, the state of things for the RCV portion of this election? Yeah, so, so at the moment, you know, so we have our uh, top four primary, which means top four vote getters move on to the general election. If this would have happened in a run-of-the-mill normal election, if someone dropped out in the top four, dropped out for, for whatever reason, with uh, more than 64 days before the election, the fifth place person move up, would move up basically to fourth place. And so you'd still have four candidates to choose from in the general election. At the moment, what it appears to be is the division elections has said, well, because the withdrawal of Gross occurred less than 64 days before the election, Alaska law does not permit the fifth place candidate to advance. And so you've got a lot of different campaign consultants, election law experts, people kind of going, well, our statutes refer to the general election, not special elections. What does this mean? And so at the moment, the division of elections has said, well, there's only going to be three candidates then because someone dropped out not in that timeline. And so the fifth place person will not move up. I'm guessing that in the next you know, 48 hours, I think because Saturday is the deadline to withdraw, that someone will move forward through the court system and get a clear interpretation of if that interpretation of the statute also means something for special elections. So at the moment, if nothing changes, we will only have three candidates in the special election that will be occurring in August. And that would be Nick Baggage, Sarah Palin, and Mary Boltola. We might wait and see, you know, next week, we might have to have an update in the podcast just to see what happens. But I think voters would want to see four candidates. That's what they've been told what happens. We have candidates who can move up. You know, if, if there was only four candidates and someone dropped out and there's only three, well, then there's only three. But in this instance, there's a fifth place finisher. And so I think voters would like to see a fifth place finisher move up. Not getting into the politics, the fifth place finisher at the moment, uh, her name is Tara Sweeney. She's a Republican who I'd say is more moderate than the other two candidates who are in the top four. I'm not a campaign consultant. I don't know what that means in terms of what people might do. But I think voters you know, see kind of the intent and maybe spirit of the law. It says, no, wait, the fifth place finisher should move up. Someone withdrew before uh, the deadline. We should all assume that they wanted someone to move up or, you know, for whatever reason, that, that's what voters want. So we'll see what happens. Right. Withdrawal deadline is Saturday and the division of elections is finalizing their ballot Tuesday the 28th. Is that right? Yeah. Next Tuesday the 28th. Yeah, because certification will happen uh, here shortly. And then, you know, they have to move towards, you know, printing ballots. And I won't get into paper supply chain issues and other stuff that the division has to deal with, like everyone else in the world at the moment. 
But if you wait a week or two extra, you know, that puts a real challenge to them to make sure that everything can be ready in time for the August election. So I think any sort of lawsuits or other movement around this will happen very, very quickly. Something more final. Yeah. <laughs> but again, I think that's part of this is a new system. Yeah. And as well thought out as the ballot measure was to take care of everything, it's, it's shown itself to take care of things like a special election and have things covered. Sometimes you just need more clarification, yeah. and that's when the courts step in, and, and we'll see. But the division election sent out a letter answering some questions last night saying, here's our interpretation of the law. And they essentially invited a lawsuit. They said at the end of the letter that any party that disagrees with these decisions should file suit immediately, which, again, I'm not a lawyer, but that would kind of tell me that that's the please do so so we can all have clarification so that we can move forward without uh, you know the ambiguity of all of this. So, Yeah. I mean, yeah, speaking as an attorney, not one who's practiced in court, but who likes reading between the lines, like this is as close as an invitation as you can get from a government agency to sue them. <laughs> At least that's how I read it. Yeah. Saying in a letter, if you disagree with this, sue us, that doesn't happen every day. I was going to say, you don't see that often, or, you know, letters that I've seen, especially with our group or, or things that I've been involved with. Yeah, they usually don't say that. Yeah, I'd be surprised if, if someone doesn't move forward. And I, and I don't know who that is. Um, you know, I, if that's a, a, one of the candidates, if that's a party or a, an individual or a group, um, we'll, we'll see. But from our standpoint, the system worked. Voters had their say. I think voters are happy with this. Everything you know shook out. And hopefully, you know, voters intend that they get to see four candidates in a top four primary. I hope something gets worked out and then voters at least have more clarity as well. Yeah, well, and I will know in a week. To listeners, we're recording this on June 22nd. The episode will be out probably right after this decision happens. So we'll probably have to add a little note here saying, here's what happened. Here's what's going on in Alaska. But now you know where, where our heads are at as of Wednesday, June 22nd, 2022. On June 23rd, three voters sued to get Tara Sweeney, the fifth place finisher in the primary, on the special general election ballot. The court denied their request, however, and so the RCV round of the election to fill Alaska's House of Representatives vacancy will have three candidates, Republicans Sarah Palin and Nick Begich, and Democrat Mary Peltola. So I have just a couple more questions. I mean, all the ballots are in, results are getting certified this weekend. Have the campaigns started pivoting to the special general yet? Are they looking at that? Are they taking, is there like going to be a bit of a lull in campaign activity as things transition? Where, where are you at in running towards the special general election? Yeah, so the, the special election is in mid-August. And so if you're a candidate and you go, okay, I've got two months. I know I'm in the top four. You know, let's just say you're, you're Nick and Sarah and Mary. You go, okay, I'm in the top four. Now what do I do? And then you also have... Those candidates will also be in the regular primary election that's also on the same ballot that they are on. And so you're thinking, okay, I'm in this for a while. I have an election that I will be on that is ranked choice vote, special general election. How do I message that? At the same time, I also need you to pick me in the pick one primary that I'm in on the same ballot. And so do you focus on one or the other, or is this a long-term, like, okay, if I end up third in the special general, what does that mean for me in the regular primary moving forward? And so I think there's probably just, I'd say, a pause button for a lot of the campaigns on, you know, what are the priorities? Do I spend a lot of time fundraising right now and get that ready for the long haul vote that's going to be happening in November? I hate to, you know, strategize or anything, 
if you're in the top four now, you want to show a strong showing so it helps your momentum in that next race that you're in as well. And I think there's probably right now, we're getting right now in Alaska, summer solstice, which is a big thing for Alaskans. I know it's not for others. Yeah. I was out till, you know, midnight, 1 a.m. It looks like it's noon outside, right? And so there's a lot of kind of just fun summer stuff happening. Voters might be a little exhausted as we've been talking about elections now in Alaska every day for, for months on end. They finally got to vote. They finally got to use the system. Maybe I think voters might be taking just, you know, a, a mental break from it all. You got 4th of July weekend, obviously parades and events you can do. And so I think if I was uh, a top four candidate, I'm probably just pushing pause for a moment, getting the lay of the land, getting my strategy. What do I focus on? And then next week, just hit the ground running, ready for that August election, because your name is going to be on the ballot in two different places on that ballot, which, you know, you have to tell people where to rank and pick me in the pick one. So what message comes as a priority or if it's just, you know, your name ID in, in general. So it's going to be fascinating. I, I am very curious just from a bystander, what the focus is and what the message is, or even people who didn't make the top four who are going to be on that regular primary ballot, they're still running. If you're Tara Sweeney, who ended up fifth, I believe she's, you know, some people have dropped out, but she was right there. She was really, really close. And so do you have momentum? What does that look like? Do you stay in the race for the next, for the, uh, the regular primary and see how it shakes out? You know, nothing but exciting times. If I was a political strategist or consultant or campaign expert, man, Alaska is the place to be. There's a lot, a lot going on and a lot of, a uh, lot to talk about. Yeah, well, so you briefly mentioned this, but I was curious if you could talk about how the results of the special have impacted the regularly scheduled primary. You said some people have dropped out. Are people sort of reevaluating their campaigns right now? You know, of the 48 candidates in the special primary, you know, now that we have kind of who made the top four or five or six, you can kind of see those were the strongest, most viable campaigns. People who had signed up for both, um, I think they wanted to show voters that they were very serious. And so uh, I'm going to be in both. I'm in it for the long haul. I'm in it for both races. Maybe strengthen my campaign a little bit. People who ended up 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th. I think we've seen several of the Democrat candidates drop out to put their support towards the uh, the one Democrat candidate. Several Republican candidates have dropped out. I'm not sure if everyone has given an endorsement or not yet. That field has, I think, narrowed quite a bit for the regular primary in August. We'll see if that narrows even more. Yeah, I think that it could really be a really interesting like, natural experiment for a political scientist to look at. If you, you have all the precinct level information from the special primary, you know who's dropped out, you know who performed well in what parts of the state, and then you have the results just two months later of the regular primary with a lot of the same candidates, though obviously not all of the same ones. There could be really interesting research to be done there showing you know, how did voters consolidate behind different candidates, how endorsements played out, how people, you know, found a second option who they didn't vote for in the special primary. From a, an analytical standpoint, it's going to be incredibly fascinating to see these different elections so close together with a different type of vote, you know, a pick one versus ranked choice. You know, I think at the end of the year, man, you'll you'll definitely have a lot of people diving into to all the data up here because it, the first time using the system, what can be learned for the next time you're a candidate in two years? You know, what can be learned uh, for, for other jurisdictions in terms of how things played out regionally, urban, rural. Yeah, it's going to be very fascinating. And I think, again, the system showed itself to work because, you know, you had one candidate on the Republican side who was the establishment pick, endorsed by the party, endorsed by many of the 
different local chapters endorsed by different groups. And that was Nick Bagage. He ended up second. And you had Sarah Palin, who hasn't been involved in Alaska politics for a long time, but has incredible name ID and Trump endorsed person who's maybe anti some establishment in the Republican Party. She ended up winning. The Democrat candidate who had been running for a long time for the seat, even before Don Young passed away from Anchorage, Chris Constant, he ended up, I think, sixth or seventh. And so he was maybe the more establishment pick, but voters had a different say. And they picked Mary, who ended up fourth, who kind mm-hmm. of came out of you know nowhere. Voters got to say, you know, we want this choice. And if we would have had just the establishment picks, you know, more mainstream picks, I guess, to say, you would have ended up with two different candidates in a, in a closed primary system or where parties get to pick, you know, behind closed doors in a special election, you get to pick their nominee. Voters had a different choice and, and had a different uh, say. And that's why the top four we got is the top four we got. Voters got to pick, which is always the point. Uh, elections are for voters. <laughs> but I think, again, that kind of just showcases that, that this system really is about voters first. And when they get to uh, you know show their values and their priorities, uh, maybe that's different than what parties have to say. So it shows kind of the benefits and of what's going on up here. And it's, it's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, there will be a lot more to see in the coming months. This is only the start. It was nice to actually, oh, we get to do this now. I mean, our, our group and, and many others have been working on this for two and a half, three years. And to actually get to vote to use the system to actually see it play out. That was a fun day for everyone. It's nice just to kind of see the system work, work well, and and finally uh, put it into practice. Yeah, it's just satisfying, right? (laughs) It's actually here and it's happening. Yeah, well, we're out of time. I'll leave it there. Thank you so much, Jason, for for joining us today and walking us through everything that's happening in Alaska. Yeah, thanks for having us. Um, You know, the spotlight in Alaska generally doesn't happen uh, when it comes to big changes, uh, big election news. Um, And so uh, we're glad that the world is watching and and hopefully uh, we can make a great impression to people on on why the system is really great for voters. And now for this month's final round, where we share an interesting bit of trivia, useful tidbit, or just something we thought was cool for folks to know about ranked choice voting. Here's Ryan Kirby with this month's final round. Did you know that some form of ranked choice voting has been used in elections in the United States since 1912? That's the year Maryland adopted ranked choice voting for their state partisan primaries. They used RCV ballots with two rankings to select candidates for governor, state house, state senate, and other state offices until 1939. Other states, such as Florida, Indiana, and Minnesota, used similar systems in the early 1900s too. And that's this month's final round. Thank you for joining us today for our June 2022 RCV Clips episode produced by the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. You can find our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Make sure to subscribe to the show for the latest episodes and updates. Please take a minute to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform, too. For more information about the RCVRC and Ranked Choice Voting, check out our website, www.rcvresources.org. The production of this podcast is supported by the generosity of our donors. Donations can be made directly on the website. Please don't hesitate to contact us with any donation questions at donate at rcvresources.org. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at rcvresources and on Facebook and LinkedIn at Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. Our theme music is Flutterbee by Poddington Bear. Until next time, I'm Chris on behalf of the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center.